This week, my mind kept going back to the reading that Ronnie had sent me earlier in the week for today. As well as the fresh uncertainty and fear as things open up a little here, there was also the forest fire. For Doug and I, and Lexi, who's in her seventh week with us after leaving New York, and most of the residents of Santa Rosa Beach, we saw the sun become a red ball in the late afternoon on Wednesday, a haze around the sun which darkened, and then we saw the billowing smoke, and we realised there was a forest fire about two or three miles away. We responded to advice to evacuate, quickly packing. We returned the next morning thankful our home was intact, unlike many others who lost everything. The reading that kept going through my mind? In the message version, it's consider it, this, all of it, a gift. That's some instruction. But there is a reason James says this. Let me read you the passage of selected verses from James 1. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colours. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyally in love with God the reward is life and more life. Don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. So, my dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light, cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. The peace of God be with us. You know that it is a genuine crisis in the world when Walt Disney World shuts down that theme park built in the middle of the Florida swamp that draws 58 million visitors every year, or it used to before it was shut down. It's really unprecedented. There's only been twice, two other times in history that Walt Disney World has shut down its operations. One was for the National Day of Mourning uh, for after the assassination of President JFK, and the other, of course, was after the September 11th attacks and there has never been an extended period in which disney world closed and their profits oh their profits are just in the toilet i read this past week that they have had a 91 percent drop in profitability in this quarter to the tune of about 1.5 billion dollars and if it was not for the streaming service that everyone is on these days in quarantine they wouldn't even have that money coming in. And it's hard on Disney employees. It's hard on small businesses that surround their parks more than anyone else. And that's what concerns me. Working people, that's what concerns me about all that is going on these days. Tourists won't die if they don't get to go to the Magic Kingdom. In fact, they might die if they go at this point. 
And who really wants to see Mickey Mouse in an N95 respirator after all? I mean, I don't. And uh, the stockholders, they're going to survive. I don't feel too sad for them. And, you know, the, 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 the executives at the top are talking about these massive uh, sacrifices that they are making. But the leadership at Disney is still making north of $40 million a year during a pandemic. And so it reminds me of something I shared about a decade ago with you on Mother's Day. And it's pretty much this, that Walt Disney doesn't care about you. Walt Disney only wants your money. In fact, the original Walt Disney, Walt Disney the man, doesn't care about you or your mother. He's been trying to kill mothers ever since he started writing his stories. I have some examples. Exhibit number one today, Bambi. Here is this little deer born into the wild, destined to become the great prince of the forest, desperately attached to his mother. But before Bambi can celebrate his first first birthday, his mother, who Walt Disney didn't even name because he knew that she wasn't going to hang around all that long, is shot and killed by a hunter. And Bambi is left in the hands of Thumper to make it in the world, a poor rabbit. Exhibit two, Dumbo. This big-eared elephant delivered to Mrs. Jumbo, and she loves him so much. But she seeks to protect him because of her jeering peers and the malicious crowds because he has those giant ears. And one day she loses her cool while defending her son. And what happens? She's locked away in a cage, considered insane, and another poor boy is left in the care of someone else, this time a mouse and a bunch of squawking crows. Number three, Cinderella. She is the only child of a single father. Her mother is where? Dead, of course. But Cinderella's father remarries. He's creating this beautiful blended family of hers and his, but it's nothing short of dysfunctional. Only the arrival of Prince Charming, this age-old trope of rescuing masculinity, saves the day. And then Snow White, a variation of the theme, but further proof of Walt Disney's war on women. Here is this sweet, naive, beautiful teenager, the fairest of them all, and at the mercy of who? Her wicked stepmother. Her mother is as dead as four o'clock, and Snow White's behavior proves as much. She runs away to the woods, not a safe place at all, and once there, she moves into a fraternity house. And no matter how sweet and innocent their names are, no teenage girl should be living with seven men. And then she takes candy from a complete stranger. She eats it. It nearly kills her. She runs off with the first man who kisses her. And if she'd had a mother, maybe she could have been guided out of so much of this trouble. In the Jungle Book, where is Mowgli's mother? Dead. Pocahontas, her mother, is dead. Tarzan, dead. The Little Mermaid, dead. And Lilo and Stitch, why is Lilo being raised by her sister? You guessed it, their parents are dead. Finding Nemo, why is Nemo's father in pursuit of his son? Where is Nemo's mother? Dead. In the remake of Aladdin, a chance to get it right in recent years, Jasmine's mother is dead. And in Frozen, now the highest grossing animated film in history, why are these girls alone in the world? Their mother is dead dead. If Walt Disney were alive today, he would need a mental health intervention. And though he's been dead now for over 50 years, his studio continues this long campaign to eradicate mom as if she were a malicious intentional spreader of COVID-19. Now, some have tried to explain these films by saying that Walt Disney, who had a marvelous mom by all accounts, is trying to show us that a traditional family, whatever that might mean, is not necessary for happiness. 
Families take on all sizes and shapes, and the individual can survive, the individual can thrive in the worst of home situations. I'll buy that. I like that explanation. And people like sociologist Amy Richards believe that the elimination of the mother figure, the stabilizing force in so many Disney films, is for dramatic effect. If Cinderella and Snow White and Bambi and Mowgli had living, loving, involved, present mothers in their lives, well, there wouldn't be much room left for an actual plot of an adventure movie, would there? So by this logic, Walt Disney isn't trying to push your mother off Space Mountain. He is showing that a life filled with adversity, yes, leads to suffering. But a life filled with adversity also can produce greatness. And that brings us to the text. Consider it a sheer gift, a gift. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature, well-developed, de not deficient in any way. Now, I started working on this talk and with this text on Monday and Tuesday. And after Wednesday, I abandoned it. Why? Well, if you're not from Walton County and you're watching this from somewhere else, we had this terrible, massive fire in the Walton, South Walton community on Wednesday and into Thursday. 600 acres burned, three dozen homes destroyed. Garrett and I were doing the Wednesday night quarantine Q&A as it was all unfolding. We first were telling people, don't worry about it. Uh, we're like Baghdad Bob. Nothing to see here. Everything's fine. We were that living meme, Garrett, of the dog sitting in the room with a house on fire. Oh, that's in Santa Rosa County. It's not here, but it was here. And Garrett came up to do the Q&A, and he drove through there at 6 o'clock, literally, 10 to 6. Smelled a little smoke. No fire. By 6.30, it was a roaring blaze, and it jumped uh, 98. But I abandoned the text because... The last thing I wanted to do was show up today and sound all trite. Oh, you've had some trouble. Your house burned down. Just take it as a test. It's good for you. That's not at all what I wanted to say, and that's not very compassionate. That's not very pastoral, and that's not what I'm saying. And the reason I returned to this text by the end of the week is I'm so grateful that there was no loss of life. There was not even a major injury that I heard of, and that of the many homes destroyed, several were empty model homes, several more were unoccupied second homes. So this disaster could have been so much worse. And we give thanks to God today, and we give thanks to Chief Ryan Crawford of the South Walton Fire D District, my neighbor, to Sheriff Michael Atkinson and the Florida Forestry Service District 2 and all their staff and volunteers who literally saved life and property Wednesday night and into Thursday morning. We have so much to be thankful for. But for those who lost everything they owned, it could have been so much worse. It's pretty cold comfort. So to those, let me say that a simple faith is at your disposal. Right now, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, the Walton County Emergency Management folks, they are all doing their part to assist you. You'll have days of wrangling with insurance companies. We know you'll be settling mortgages, replacing lost items, and we will help you any way we can in the aftermath if we can. And further, this text today does not make light 
of your personal tragedies or your losses no more than it does for anyone else's. So I want to encourage you today as I encourage all of us. Life is unfair. Tragedy often does not have explanation. Adversity comes in waves. The pressure is intense. And it feels sometimes like a demented storyteller has gotten a hold of our script and is intentionally making things impossible for us. But this theme that I've been hounding on now for weeks shows itself again. There is hope. There is meaning. There is something larger going on beneath the surface, even when we can't see it. When you are hit from all sides, when you feel like you're going under, when it all becomes more than you can take and you have entered the crucible, you are being matured, you are being developed, you are being rounded out. You have been given a damn gift, to quote Lyle Sandquist and the Apostle James. That's one of Lyle's favorite phrases in his counseling practice. A damn, damnable gift. And you don't want to open this gift. It's worse than any dirty Santa game you have ever played, but you're stuck with it. Here it is. And the healthy response is not to resist it. It's not to make the most of it, but it is to let it make the most out of you. That's the response. An example. Timely this week, I think, as we celebrate the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II in Europe. It's from Canadian psychiatrist J.T. McCurdy. In the years before World War II, the British government was worried about what they anticipated to be the German bombardment of London, and everyone predicted disaster. A sustained German German bombing would kill estimated 600,000 people. It would leave a million people wounded. It would create such a mass panic that the city would be abandoned. Life would grind to a halt. The army would be useless against the enemy because they would have to be called up to take care of panicked citizens. The government set up psychiatric hospitals just outside the city limits to handle what they expected to be a flood of psychological and emotional casualties. On September 7th, 1940, the Germans began to relentlessly bomb London, the Blitzkrieg, the Blitz. And it was everything the British government officials had feared, except that their predictions about how people would react never came. The panic never set in. The psychiatric hospitals built on the outskirts of London had to be abandoned because no one showed up. And as the Blitz continued the British authorities began to observe, to their astonishment, not just courage in the face of the bombing, but defiance. Yes, a million people, a million people lost their homes. Thousands upon thousands crammed into bomb shelters. There was this constant thunder of planes and explosions and sirens, but the bombing seemed to have the opposite effect than the Germans were hoping for. It didn't paralyze the British It emboldened them. Bombs were falling. Destruction was everywhere. 70% of London was destroyed. Tens upon tens of thousands of people were dead. But the survivors, the longer they survived, with every passing day, the more courageous and more determined they became. Where did they find this courage and this determination? 
It was already within them. They didn't even know that they had it until it was drawn out of them by the circumstances that they found themselves in. And it could not be drawn out of them until they were tested on all sides, put under incredible pressure with no way to avoid or to evade or to escape the challenge. What a word for us today in the 21st century, 75 years later. I'll say it this way. The only way out is through. The only way out is through. If you're one of those who lost your home to fire in recent days, I'm sorry I have not been there. I can't imagine what it is like to sift through the ashes of decades of living. But my friends, you will get through this, but you will have to go through it to get out of it. If you're without a job and this pandemic has drained all of your resources, your small business is underwater with not much chance of recovering, your IRA is leaking like an old boat, you will have to go through this to get out of this. If your marriage is in trouble, if your kids have lost their minds or lost their way, if you have so many self-inflicted wounds, you don't know which one to bandage next. You're on the verge of bankruptcy, career loss, up to your ass in alligators and over your head in the sewer of this world. The only way out of this is through this. You have to live through this to get to the other side. The only way out is through. The only chance you have is to press on. And the only path you can take is day by day. And sometimes the most defiant, faith-filled thing you can do is just get up in the morning and put your shoes on and say, I survived to face another day. This life isn't a hero's story. It won't always have a happy ending. It's not a Disney feel-good, we'll show them in the end tale of conquest and ascent. Sometimes it boils down to survival. Survival is enough. Because every day you survive, you are learning, you are growing, you are becoming. Becoming well-developed, becoming mature, becoming a person of worth, becoming someone with some substance about you, becoming a real human being, not a papier-mâché version of a person or a fraudulent copy of what you are actually created to be. Well, why is God doing all of this to me, you might ask? Why did God burn my house down? Why did God take my job? Why did God send this coronavirus into the world? God didn't do any of those things. That's life, not God. And I don't know how that all fits together sometimes, but I know what James says here in the text is true. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Not evil. It's just life. Life gives us the gift of adversity and trouble, all we can stand and then some. And then God gives us the gift of sustaining goodness and the opportunity to grow into and beyond our challenges, all we can stand and then some as well. We get the chance, and it seems like we're getting many chances in these days where it feels like the plagues of 
Exodus are raining down on us, to make the most of these gifts as they make the most of us. Now, I'm just like you. I'm just like anyone who listens to this live right now or someone who listens to it later. I've suffered loss by death, by betrayal, by divorce, by foreclosure, by repossession. I've laid awake at night wondering, worrying, wishing for my children, for my future, for my finances. I've assaulted heaven with every question and accusation that is common to humankind, and I keep a box of my best questions right beside my bed for late at night so I can throw those at God regularly. There's so much I don't understand. There's so much that breaks my heart. There's so much that I wish I could change. So much that I wish I could fix. So much injustice. So much hatred. So much stupidity. So much that just crushes me. And yes, sometimes I do think, and I say to myself, "Ah, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. But what choice do I have? If I can't go on, if such a surrender takes place, to quote Jacques Ellul, it leads a society like ours into suicide and self-destruction if we give up. So when I get to feeling this way, I try to remember that I'm left with a single option. The only way out is through. The only chance I have is to press on. And the only path I can take is day by day. And sometimes the most defiant, faith-filled thing I can do is get up in the morning and put on my shoes and say, well, at least I live through the night and I have another day set before me. And rather than laboring under the delusion that I can make the most of it, and write my own happy ending to my story, I have to let these times make the most of me. And these times will do that for me, for you, when we remember that God is good, even when this world is not.